Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to another week from our great state. Uh, we are recording on Wednesday evening. We normally record Thursday morning. Uh, and Claire Zauke is not with us this week. She is taking a break from the show this week. We'll have her back for our next one. But uh, Robert Craig, the Executive Director, is with us. Robert, how are you doing? I'm doing well, of all things considered, uh, with everything going on in the world. It is, uh, as always, kind of surreal times uh, here in Wisconsin, and um, we may be a little bit lower energy because uh, we're not used to recording at the end of our day as opposed to bright and early after a few cups of coffee. But um, folks, as of recording this Wednesday evening, we did just find out that there will be no verdict uh, today in the uh, trial in Kenosha. Um, We are going to talk, we will talk more extensively after the verdict. Uh, We're going to, our next show, podcast show, we'll we'll discuss that. We may try and do something if we can uh, fairly quickly after the verdict or something next week that will have um, probably pretty much the whole show discussing it, unpacking as much of it. We have tried not to talk too much about it. We certainly did last week, um, but just wanted to let folks know. We'll talk more about that, but but, but uh, Robert, I do want to give you just an opportunity for some brief comments, uh, pre-verdict, um, your thoughts before we move on to other topics. Well, this isn't going to, you know, ease the tensions and, and really hard feelings if this is not a good verdict, or is a mixed verdict or a bad verdict. Uh, but this is a lot to put on a criminal trial, even if we had way better laws. Okay, and uh, because it's baked into our constitution, it's part of our fundamental values that you have to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt in order to send someone to jail for homicide or any other major crime. And that's a hard standard to prove at any time, let alone in a chaotic situation like the protests. And what's added to it is these ridiculous gun laws where we allow people to run around and mill around in peaceful protests holding military-style weapons, in this case, bring someone underage, a 17-year-old, and make them part of it, doesn't have a fully formed brain and cannot think well. Though the people with fully formed brains bring all the guns, they they, they obviously acted that way as well and set up those conditions. So this is a, the problem that after the historic 2020 protests, the system is struck back and we have not fundamentally changed the system. So in a way, this verdict is going to be a disappointment no matter what, because it can't really bring full justice. And we are, do have a situation now. Here's what the precedent is. We've been saying, and we know this, that black and brown folks, uh, particularly black men, but are not safe in their own communities and that, that you're not a free society if that's the case, if, if, you're, uh, if you're subjected to, to state violence because of what you look like where you live, right? Uh, but the second thing is now we're saying that it's fair game, open season on the white folks who care about this and protest and come to peaceful protests. And you're going to be labeled by a right-wing judge as looters and rioters and not, and not victims and there's not going to be, there's not necessarily going to be full justice for you. By the way, even if there was full justice and he is put away for life, as Kyle Rittenhouse, that doesn't bring 
any of those folks back who were exercising a fundamental constitutional right. You know, the right to protest, the right to speech, it is not trumped by the Second Amendment. We have a supercharged Second Amendment that is that is part of right wing doctrine, nothing ever intended by the folks who wrote our original Constitution. Listen, we will talk more about this after the verdict. Um, so please uh, look out for that uh, either later this week or next week in, uh, for our show next week. Uh, remind everyone next week is already Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, so hope, hope everybody uh, is looking forward to that and making plans. But uh, Robert, I do want to chat with you last night here at Citizen Action. It was, uh, it was a big night. We held our online U.S. Senate candidate forum with five of the top Democratic candidates to, uh, who are efforting to unseat Ron Johnson. Uh, it was a huge affair. We had over 800 folks on through our uh, online, but uh, already I've had over 33,000 folks watching this through Facebook Live, and it was, uh, it was quite a show. Want to get your thoughts, and I'll, first, let me just tell our listeners who was there. <laughs> uh, the uh, event featured uh, Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, State Treasurer Sarah Godlewski, Outagamie County Executive Tom Nelson, uh, Jillian Patino, who we've had on the show, the doctor from uh, the Wausau area, and then also Alex Lazary. Obviously, folks, we don't want to give away everything, and we do want you to be able to go watch this. We'll have a link uh, in the text uh, where you can go watch it, and we also have an opportunity where you can give us feedback on what you thought. But Robert, early returns, what were, what were your thoughts of the night? Well, let me take a step back with the, with the uh, host uh, permission and talk about a little bit of purpose here. That is, if a media outlet holds a uh, debate, they're trying to get attention for themselves. They're trying to make news. That's not our goal here. Um, and we, we are a grassroots membership organization that endorses an elections and is trying to elect more people to make the major changes we need to be partners on the inside to work with out, outside democracy groups such as us. And by democracy groups, I don't mean just we defend democracy, but this is a form of democracy, self-organized people working together to influence the direction of their state and the country. And so we have a different goal than the candidates. I'm thrilled the candidates really want to be in this. There was keen competition to land one of the five slots in the uh, debate and uh, a lot of attention to this. But our, their goal, the candidates, listening to their campaign consultants, and some of them don't have the best advice, some of them do, but they are campaign professionals. They have, things, they have important things to tell candidates. Uh, but I was going to say that their goal is to try to figure out position themselves in this race to win. We want a candidate that can beat Ron Johnson, so that matters to us. But fundamentally, we think that the way to beat Ron Johnson is to have an exciting candidate that can mobilize our base, that can mobilize our base as much or more as the hatred and fear and division of the Republican, Trump-led Republican Party does on their side, because they will get large turnout. Trump has shown that in Wisconsin, in, two straight elections. Robert, let me add one further thing to, to the theory you're laying out that's definitely at play is we, we have a unique opportunity here. We're, we're one of three states where there, our Senate race is a big show. 
it is going to get tons of national attention and resources for whoever wins the Democratic primary. That is a huge opportunity for us as progressives within the party to shape that primary. We do not need to listen to these stories of, oh, we need somebody who can raise money or self-finance or this or that. Uh, no, we need, as Robert said, somebody who can actually motivate our base, speak to the values and the issues that will get folks out in an off-year election, and actually will uh, bring about the kind of change that we need. And so that's actually a really unique opportunity for us to be in, in a state that's considered purple, like Wisconsin. Robert? And we're, there's a tension between what we're trying to do and what the candidates are trying to do. Uh, and what the candidates, consultants, and campaign staff are telling them or whispering in their ears, so to speak, in their pollsters, et cetera. We want to get clear um, commitments on big issues that could excite people. We also want those because we want people to actually, if they're elected on something, they're more likely to fight to do it once elected. We want a senator that actually helps achieve these things, right? Uh, so that's our goal. In some cases, they may be giving advice that they shouldn't be as clear because they're what will the Republicans attack them on or another uh, or, or opponent in the primary. So there is a tension where we're trying to get them to be more bold and specific, and they may not always want to be that on everything we want them to. So I'd say we made some progress, but obviously you're not going to have get get candidates to say everything, their positions on everything in a clear way you like them to because they have an incentive to uh, be a little more strategic than that as far as uh, their positioning. I would say the clearest, and people can watch this and see, see what you think about all six questions we asked and then a seventh that came from the audience. I think the one where there was the clearest kind of movement for this field, and it is a defining one, is that four of the five candidates to my ears firmly committed to Medicare for all. And that's pretty big to have a US Senate primary in Wisconsin, a purple state where there's that much support for Medicare for all. And uh, that puts pressure on the candidate who is less clear, I think, to eventually commit to it. Yeah, more of a mixed verdict on the other issues, and I'll kind of leave it to you, Matt, and, and, our, and our folks who watched it, or folks who are gonna watch it to make their judgments on the other five issues and the audience question, which is about how to take on critical race theory, the very interesting question. Yeah, no, Robert, I would agree with you. I was, uh... I'll just say overall, I thought all of the candidates did a, a very good job. We have a very good field. I'll also add prior to this, um, we did spend time as staff and our movement politics director talking with all of these candidates uh, at least a couple of times and being very clear with them about where we're headed, how we see this, the agenda, a lot of the things Robert laid out. So um, it was uh, great to see them. But with that, folks, we got to take a quick break. We'll, we're going to talk a little bit more about this. Uh, you're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org before the break we were talking about our United States Senate candidate forum. And uh, Robert, you did a really good job of laying out sort of um, how we view this, how we see this, um, and also uh, a little bit of a, uh, letting folks know about the four, four folks uh, coming out in support of Medicare for All. Any other final thoughts you had about the event and uh, its importance uh, going forward, this, this whole race? Just so folks know, we, this was run like a real form. They didn't know the questions in advance. 
which means they, if they went first, they had virtually no time to, 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 to decide. And then they could listen to the other candidates and position themselves. So I wouldn't be surprised if some of the one reflection might have made even clearer commitments once they think about it. And hopefully that will come out during the process, because this is also, I mean, this is going to happen in the real world. The setter is going to just get a question and what their response is, is going to be locked in time, right? And used against them or due to their credit. So that is also a test of a Senate candidate to see how they respond with big meaty questions where they don't, didn't know they were coming until the moment of, of it being asked. Well, again, uh, my sense is that I think they did quite well with very challenging questions. Um, and I think other, the other thing, Robert, that we thought was important is, you know, setting the agenda and starting to put in play things that we want them to be thinking about and challenging with. And so you're correct. Um, we expect to see some of their responses evolve to some of these issues. Well, with that, though, Robert, I want us to look forward a little. It's a busy time here at Citizen Action. And um, so we just come off of that event last night, but uh, we have a big annual fundraiser coming up on December 1st. I believe that is a Wednesday evening, uh, just to confirm. And from 5.30 to 7.30. And we're really excited about this fundraiser because we have two amazing guests uh, who are going to join us. The first one is Representative Mark Pocan. And Robert, I want you to talk a little bit more about this, but we're going to talk to uh, Representative Pocan about the Progressive Caucus and its newly emboldened and empowered role in Congress this uh, this session. And then we're also going to be joined by um, Senator Baldwin. Robert, tell us, a, tell our listeners a little bit more about why they should listen. This is These conversations are going to be really interesting. Tell us more. Yeah, following up on our Senate forum, uh, we are for our annual fundraiser, which is a very fun event, though it's, even though it's only virtual because we believe in COVID-19 and keeping, keeping our folks safe so they can participate in our democracy and help win back the state. Uh, we we want to dive into something we've talked about a lot in Battleground, Wisconsin. That is the sudden rise of progressive influence and power in Washington, more than we've seen in Congress since the 1960s. And Little understood in our state, Mark Pocan, the congressman from Madison, has been one of the prime orchestrators of the rise of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, which is a block of 95 progressive members of Congress. He was co-chair in the last session, and he agreed to step aside and simply be one of the top lieutenants to give it more kind of discipline and force behind one chair, who is another friend of ours, Representative Pramila Jayapal from Seattle used to run an organization that is part of the same network we're part of, People's Action, and before she went into politics. And so we're going to get Mark's thoughts on how the progressives have been able to uh, really make an alliance with Biden, really get the most of the centrist Democrats, the moderate wing, to support uh, very bold generational reform, more than we've seen in 50 years, and how they were able to hold up the bipartisan bill in order to get leverage to try to make sure they get the full package and all of the things that are, are yet to be passed. And so this is uh, something where Washington, D.C. insiders and media weren't talking about progressives as major players. Now they are. So we'll discuss that with Mark. He'll be our first uh, visitor during the fundraiser. And then uh, that is Congressman Focan. And then uh, the Senate has been vital and has a revitalized Senate progressive bloc, and Tammy Baldwin is a core part of that. And so we'll 
will have that conversation about the Senate side and progressive influence with Tammy Baldwin as well. So this is very timely because this has everything to do with whether President Biden fulfills his ambition to be a 21st century version of FDR. Uh, he, need, he, he is stuck firm with this alliance and progressives has as well. And it's been corporate Democrats that have been problematic for this administration White House to organize. They're the ones outspokenly against what most Democrats want, almost every elected Democrat in Congress wants. It'll be fascinating, Robert, to actually, you know, both hear from Mark's perspective, you know, from the House side and really being on the inside on that, that caucus, but also from Senator Baldwin, very fascinated to hear what it's like to deal with Manchinima, right? Like, and to be in that situation and the frustration, you know, especially around um, the voting rights, uh, and in the filibuster and just really getting her thoughts about um, what it's like to be a progressive in a situation where you do have these corporate Democrats, uh, while somewhat smaller in numbers, still very powerful. Um, so, folks, please uh, join us Wednesday, December 1st. We'll have links where you can RSVP. Um, we're, we're looking for folks to sponsor. We'll be releasing a sponsor list if you pre-register and join uh, and sign up for a hundred bucks, you'll be listed as a sponsor. Uh, and also if you um, do $50 or more, we'll also list you. So please get involved, help support us. We really appreciate it. And uh, come and hear the great conversation that Robert just laid out. But Robert, uh, with that, I want us to talk a little bit. Uh, we'll stay on some in-state topics here. Um, we have been talking about the big lie uh, pretty much since the big lie first <laughs> really slipped out last year. It has been central to sort of how the Republicans have been operating. Uh, and we've talked a lot about it nationally. Uh, there's been huge pushes around uh, efforts in states, notably Texas and Georgia, around uh, voting rights. Uh, here in Wisconsin, it's been a little bit more complicated because of Governor Evers. But We've been discussing this now for the past month that the Republicans have been, you know, like a dog with a bone on the election commission over lately. The latest is this nursing home uh, blow up, which we have talked about. But the new news this week was uh, in late last week, uh, Rebecca Clayfish suing the election commission and Speaker Voss coming out and essentially saying that he thinks that, you know, it's really open to this idea. It's a possibility, probability. Robert, want to get your thoughts on this. Um, this continues to evolve. They do not appear to be backing down, uh, even though it just uh, to just about everybody, it just seems to be a, a tremendous overreach outside of their base. Robert. It just how, shows how crass and power hungry the entire Republican Party has become. By looking at it closely, I don't think the Assembly Speaker, Robin Voss, even believes this stuff, okay? He is adjusting to fear of Trump and the fact that there are really Trump true believers in his own caucus, including the chair of his, uh, of, uh, his uh, Assembly uh, Elections Committee, uh, Representative Brandigan from the Nominee Falls. And so he has tried to, without repeating the Arizona disaster, do a Wisconsin version and has managed to be one of the leading states in questioning the 2020 election with no evidence. And the evidence they do have, it's all about how, because we had a pandemic, 
that, that some of the rules were changed so that you could allow people to vote. Not only do they not, did they not demonstrate any fraud, not a single piece of evidence, but if there was fraud, let's say they really had found things that were problematic, they don't have any evidence that came from the blue side and not their side. It's, I mean, it's just amazing. It is made up out of whole cloth. And here's the problem. They say so many crazy things when we see how dangerous this is for democracy and how this is a move to take over the state's election machinery so they can declare this state for the next presidential candidate, it makes us sound like them. So we're in a weird proposition as progressives. In order to explain the real threat of this pre-fascist Republican Party, we kind of sound uh, as hyperbolic as they do, but in their case, it's made up. In our case, my goodness, this stuff would, be, would have been unmanageable even a few years back, and now it's the standard position of the Republican Party. We got the Assembly Speaker, Matt, last week, uh, suggesting that the election, Wisconsin Election Commission for voting 6-0, including the three Republicans, to make sure nursing home workers could vote because the system we had doesn't work in a pandemic, the special registrars right. weren't allowed into the nursing home, that that means these people committed felonies when they have substantial authority under the law to adjust elections to make sure they work based on actual circumstances. Robert, we got to take a break. I want to talk more about this right after this break. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. Robert, had to interrupt you from uh, real impassioned uh, comments there, which I totally, I, I totally agree with. It's a weird situation to be in where you don't want to, give these things any more oxygen than they already get. Um, because Robert, you mentioned what they're actually saying they did wrong. That's a felony. And when you hear what they did, you're like, what? Like, are you kidding me? That's not a felony. That's good public health. You're not going to send, they couldn't allow people in, right? Like it's just, it makes absolutely no sense other than the politics. And let's let's just before we change topics, talk yeah. about that, because it's very real that they are using this to rev up their base. And it's it's it, let's just say Democrats, it's challenging to figure out exactly how to respond to all this stuff because it never ends. I mean, this does put the lie to the idea it could never happen here. It being fascism, I call it pre-fascism following the Yale philosopher Timothy Schneider has gotten a lot of attention because it's all the elements without actually the full fascist authoritarian rule, but it's what leads there, okay, that has to be checked or it will lead to fascism. And the pr part of it is, is that truth no, is a complete casualty. Most Republicans believe the 2020 election is stolen because their opinion leaders, the people they look to, are saying it is, and that's enough. And so they are believing that these commissioners trying to make sure nursing home workers, nursing home residents could vote were committing felonies. A, a Racine sheriff who's a Red Rock Trumper has, uh, has, has tried to, has, has referred to the DA, referred them to indictment. They were doing their job and they were, had a majority, they had both sides. And you know what? I mean, look, going through the rationality is like trying to, uh, is missing the point in some ways, but I think our side needs to understand this. At the time, the legislature could have changed the laws 
okay? Uh, they would have had to have worked with the governor, which they don't want to do, but they could have stepped in. In addition, they could have sued right then if they had a problem. They, and they, and uh, uh, Voss is saying he had no options. Voss sues at a drop of a hat. They've won the ability to, to do their own lawsuits with their own lawyers in the Republican legislature without the governor, without the Department of Justice. And so they didn't do it because they didn't think there was a problem. They only think it's a problem now because the politics have changed and they didn't know President Trump was going to declare that the election was stolen and hold them accountable to their own base for proving, proving that they're trying to do something about it. And Rebecca Clayfish, she's probably a true believer, the, Dem the Republican frontrunner, just so everyone knows, uh, for governor. And she was involved in the, in, the, in the critical race theory recalls in Mequon that blew up in her face. Uh, where conservative area rebuked the recall effort and then returned the, the school board members. Uh, but now she's made another call as of when we're recording, that is uh, late Wednesday afternoon. She is claiming that Madison having the vaccine mandate for poll workers, which by the way is necessary to protect the public when they're exercising their constitutional right to vote, is an attempt to get Republicans out of the polling places in other words, the assumption they're all unvaccinated, so they can steal it. That is the latest. There's no end to this, but it's toxic and corrosive because their side believes these claims, because it's an unfortunate truth about humans that we, they tend to be more influenced by authority who said it than any kind of argument. They do not, most voters, have the time or inclination to examine the, the evidence and examine the quality of the reasoning if the people who are on their side and lead it say it, they tend to believe it. And that's what's going on. And that is destroying faith in democracy. How do we have elections in a democracy when one side doubts any election that they didn't win? That's not a democracy. We all know what that is. This may not. We think that it gets crazier and crazier. I mean, I'm just going to say, and this has not been in the media that I know of, who's to say the Racine County DA, who is under tremendous pressure and is in Robin Voss, the Assembly Speaker's home turf, doesn't feel enough pressure, political pressure, to not just throw out this sheriff's bizarre, uh, he, and a bizarre referral for, for indicting five of the six members of the Election Commission. The six they're not indicting voted for it, but he's a Trump delegate, is my understanding. So this is more hypocrisy. Who's to say the DA doesn't feel like he has to charge them or at least, you know, charge them knowing it won't stick or who knows with courts and do the perp walk and uh, make them all come in and uh, book them and all of that, which, of course, would go down in, in, on Fox News and social media as proof they were guilty on the right. Who's to say other things are not going to happen, that this isn't just crazy talk. It's going to start to be crazy action using the actual authority of the state government. I mean, a sheriff. This sheriff is using their official authority, and if they can coerce the DA into acting, that DA will be doing the same thing. This gets a lot closer to real-life fascism real quick, even before the Republicans take over the entire government. Folks, we're going to continue to track this. We do see this as an issue, uh, and we're going to keep talking about it, uh, even though we have openly talked about some of the you know the problems. When you start talking about this, uh, it inherently they want to talk about this but uh robert i think uh the sort of proto-fascist uh is probably really appropriate here folks we're going to continue to track this huge issue uh one other thing related to this 
And we did talk about Gableman uh, last week in his uh, absolutely horrendous public testimony. Uh, in response to that this week, uh, Democrats, Assembly Democrats that are on the election committee, they put out a release saying that they refused to meet with Gableman privately, that, that he refused to actually reveal anything in public. And when he had an opportunity in a actual real legitimate public forum, as opposed to his ridiculous show. So we'll see. But um, uh, that is other news in, shall we saw that the big lie section of the show, Robert, I don't know if you have and any that other is thoughts disgrace, on that. That is disgraced <laughs> former state Supreme Court Justice Michael Gableman, who is running the fake audit, which is simply designed to foment the other side and think, uh, and to believe in the election was stolen. And we, it's from a legal standpoint, a joke. It's a joke that such people, this is a Walker appointee, were ever on the state Supreme Court. It's this credit to the Republican Party that this man is in their column, let alone, he was, by the way, he received an appointment late in the Trump administration uh, and has been using Trump lawyers. And has, the, the weirdest story with him, Matt, of course, is he won't name who his staff is, but the Journal Sentinel turned out turned up that there's a woman named Carol who will not give her last name. So wherever Carol oh. is, she's part of the team. No, we found out about her, and now there's this weird lawyer from from down south. Anyways, let's. I want to move on because we only have a couple of minutes left, Robert. And you know, I do want to get your comments. Uh, this week on Monday, President Biden signed the infrastructure bill, the much talked about uh, infrastructure bill. And uh, he immediately uh, went on tour along with his VP and others to try to sell this and see if they can't um, start to put some oxygen back into his approval ratings, which hit very low numbers this week. Um, So your thoughts on that? And then, of course, how this relates to the much more important Build Back Better pieces uh, that that uh, are still hung up in the Senate. Your thoughts? I think this also requires us progressives to hold two thoughts at the same time, right? Just as I said around uh, first step climate actions like Representative Neubauer will talk to us about um, later. We'll talk about that, but also uh, the difference between a traditional infrastructure bill with some good climate things. It's very good and will employ a lot of people understanding it's in the old system. So it's mostly construction. It mostly goes to white men. It doesn't expand equity as much. It doesn't do things like universal pre-K, family leave, a number uh, the, the climate investments. So it actually start to try to actually meet the, the emergency. Those are in the budget resolution that's separate. Progressive been holding up the first to try to make sure we have the leveraging of both. And so that is a deal between the two sides of the party. The most conservative members of the caucus get this, and this has some very good things in it. They'll be helpful. But to really achieve the president's agenda and what we need, you need to also pass the budget resolution, and that hasn't quite happened yet. There may be House votes as early as late this week after our taping. So we need to hold both thoughts. This is a big victory. Democrats of all stripes, moderate or progressive, rely upon accomplishing things with our government to show democracy can work. And that's what we're trying to do. Franklin Delano Roosevelt saved democracy by showing it could address the Great Depression. A lot of people at the time actually believed that, that we were going to move away from a democracy in the early 1930s. We have the same challenge now. So getting this bill passed that Republicans did not get passed, Trump didn't do anything, he just had infrastructure week without ever doing it. It's huge, they should promote it because 
These are all popular, but people don't know enough about them because they've been confused by right-wing distraction and division. But we also need to pass the rest of the agenda. So we need to be able to hold both thoughts. This is a victory, but it's sort of like you win the first playoff game, but you're not happy unless you actually win the Super Bowl if you're a Packer fan, right? So it's a a win, but we need some more. So I'm going to add one thing to what Robert said about we all have a role to play in helping educate the public about what's in this. And then assuming we pass the other thing, what's in that, please folks share on Facebook once or twice a week. And if you see an article talking about what's in the bill, what's come to your community, share it on your Facebook page so that your neighbors can see it. We're going to be doing that on our social media. We've got some things that were published this week that are already up on our Facebook page. Check that out, share it. Make sure we get the information out. There's lots of good things that are happening. You, we all have an agency and a role to play in this democracy, folks. With that, we're going to have to and take a break. I got one break. more thing, Matt. Finally, rural broadband, which has been blabbed about by politicians for years and not done, if we do it right. We have enough money to have universal broadband in Wisconsin if we spend it well. So that is huge. So there's a lot of things in here we didn't get to, Matt. That's all I want to say. No, oh, yeah. Time definitely much we'll continue to talk more about it but we got to take a break when we get back we're going to be joined by state representative greta neubauer we're going to talk about some climate bills that she and democrats introduced this week you're listening to the battleground wisconsin welcome back to the battleground wisconsin again we're citizen action you can find us at citizenactionwi.org we are very fortunate to have a special guest we are being joined by State Representative Greta Neubauer. Greta, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. Very happy to be here. Well, Greta, we've had you on before, and we're thrilled to have you on again because this is some big news this week. Uh, legislative Democrats uh, under, I, I'm just going to say it, your leadership, and I, I think uh, Senator Jeff Smith on the Senate side, I believe, uh, introduced a series of about, I think it's 22 bills, uh, but they're, it's aimed at fighting climate change. And I wanted you to tell our listeners a little bit more about, uh, about the bills and why they are so important. Yeah, thanks so much. So as you mentioned, we put out 22 bills this week as legislative Democrats. And these are authored by uh, Democrats, Assembly and Senate members from all over the state. And they are really built on truly years of work, um, primarily through the governor's task force on climate change, led by Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, but of course by organizations, including Citizen Action and many others, people from all over the state who engaged in that process and with us since to talk about what they want to see us do to move forward on climate in Wisconsin. And the bills really are wide ranging. Um, We heard from people in every corner of the state. We have a number of bills that are focused on rural areas, on supporting farmers to sequester carbon, on establishing regional biodigesters, on helping rural folks um, see the connections with climate and mitigate those impacts in their communities. We have uh, bills that are focused on the workforce in cities with a climate core bill that I expect we'll talk some more about, uh, workforce training, resources for planting trees in cities, weatherizing homes, particularly for low-income folks. So really these bills are incredibly wide ranging. Um, What we really wanted to focus on with this package was making sure that 
in the process of cutting our carbon footprint, we were also addressing our state's longstanding inequities, particularly racial disparities, and we were creating good jobs, the kind of jobs that people want to stick around in Wisconsin for, the kind of jobs people want to move here for. And I think we do that with this package. So really excited to be here with you all, um, longtime advocates and collaborators on this work and to talk some more about these bills. Robert. Well, I want to really compliment Greta for not only her consistent and hard work on climate, but her really hard work to get a full consensus of Democrat caucus here and work with the Democrat governor, because we're a big tent party. So that is, if there's bipartisanship going on in Madison, it's within the Democratic Party, uh, because there's a lot of different points of view. Um, and I think another, re- re- we'll get into the details, uh, Representative, but we appreciate how you re- reached out to partners, including us. And so you, this is a very inclusive, I would say, democratic process in which you've been interested in getting all the perspectives necessary to make these bills as good as possible. And that makes for better legislation. And it also creates more support for that legislation. So it's just smart politics. It doesn't happen enough. Smart governing, I would say, smart legislating. Um, I would say, because this is uh, to to our um, members and and, and allies who are on the, uh, would say are on the, the left part of the progressive coalition, right? I think that there's a lesson here as well, because sometimes we, now I'm speaking as we, because I'm in the further left, the, the left part of the, of the Democrat coalition, uh, get fixated on the big vision, like meeting the Paris climate targets, uh, the Green New Deal resolution, the Thrive Act in D.C. Uh, it's all important to actually achieve the goal we need to do to prevent us from going above 1.5 degrees Celsius, because above that, it's disastrous. And Representative Neubauer knows that. But there's also an important role for common sense legislation that 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 we could do very quickly that ought to have bipartisan support, but won't because of the nature of the Republican Party right now, which is much more about politics and culture wars than policy, unfortunately, though I'm sure Representative Neubauer will try to get them on board. And, and has been trying. Um, but this is also an important part of reform. And, and what you've done is you've done a lot of different things in other state, in a whole lot of different phases of the state. So in a way, you're getting a whole lot of different constituencies and regions of state used to what kind of things we can do to improve things while also addressing the climate crisis. So I want to really compliment you for that. And uh, I do want to get to two things that are that are big, that are that are big policies we're very interested in that are in the package. But before I do that, let me make sure to see if you have any reaction you don't have to to what I just laid out about the role of these bills and uh, and how they're not, they're not, you don't intend them to be everything you do on climate. You intend them as some really good things that we should get broad consensus on and have it that we ought to start doing right away across Wisconsin. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you saying that. Thank you. And, and I absolutely think that's right. These bills would take us pretty far, but of course there is more to do. And I think you all will see more um, from democratic legislators this session on climate change. You know, I I come from an organizing background. And so I really see incredible value in both pushing the conversation, right? In making sure that we do have the visionary 
policy that's out there that really demonstrates the urgency of this issue and the need to act now, and that we are proposing things that we think can happen right away and should happen right away. And so I really appreciate you all and being part of that conversation of changing what is politically possible now and long-term in Wisconsin. And I see this package and coming legislation as part of that push and pull, right? Get done what we can and keep expanding um, the, the vision and the conversation in the future. So there are two policies we worked with you on, especially not that we don't like the others, but we had a perspective on them. Uh, one is a, what will sound very bureaucratic, uh, that is on bill financing. You might say, what the heck is that, right? Um, there, other states do it. You have it in Illinois, among the, the major for-profit utilities and other, other states. It allows homeowners to do major weatherization improvements, so energy conservation upgrades to reduce their energy costs and do things like solar panels and other things, heat pumps often. And to since they save money these uh, over time, it's, all, it's really a financing. And so what on-bill financing does is require the utilities uh, to actually finance it and just have you pay it back within your utility bill and therefore your bill goes down far enough that it doesn't go up actually, and you never see any uh, any hit to your family pocketbook. So that that is required in this. So that's huge for reducing energy use in the state and reducing greenhouse emissions. And another one, the Wisconsin uh, Conserva- uh, 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 Cons- Climate Conservation Corps, I'm botching the title a little bit, because of the Climate Conservation Corps at the national level, Greta, so you'll you'll correct me, but it really gets people started, right? on green jobs, one of the fastest growing parts of the economy, diversifies it, and you made it like the national bill that's part of President Biden's Build Back Better, also to really be pro-union, which is what we believe in the Democratic side, because these need to be good jobs, not just any jobs. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think you're right. We need to make sure that this transition is inclusive and that everyone who wants to be part of it can be. And that's really the aim for the on-bill financing proposal. And then on the climate court, you know, a few things, uh, specifics there. This is the largest bill in terms of the dollar amount per year. And it is a preference to hire young people for work crews. There's a 50% requirement for um, underrepresented groups in each work crew, and it allows local governments, nonprofit organizations, the state to take on ambitious projects, weatherization, rebuilding public lands, um, really a wide range of energy efficiency or resiliency projects, and to pay a fair wage, $15, you know, to support uh, folks to get health care, and if they want to, to unionize. And As you said, I think it's critically important, um, both because it is the right thing to do and uh, to create these jobs as good jobs. Um, As I said, both because it's the right thing to do, but also because if we want folks to be excited about the energy transition and to vote for it and to support it, um, we need to be creating the kind of jobs people really wanna have in Wisconsin. And so I do see these things as going absolutely hand in hand Uh, If climate policy isn't making people's everyday lives better, it's going to be really hard for us to get it passed. So that's a central piece of this whole package. Well, Representative, that all sounds great. Tell us sort of the next steps, right? You get it introduced. We sort of know the state of the legislature, but your thoughts on 
how this is going to move move the envelope and anything uh, folks who might want to get involved uh, in your final uh, minute. Yeah, well, we've seen a lot of excitement and from all over the state, and that's amazing. You know, we're certainly encouraging folks to talk about it, to post on social media, write op-eds. If they're interested in organizing events, we're always happy to support that in their communities. There will be more organizing uh, in the new year on this. And if folks are interested in that, they can, um, I'm sure, follow along with Citizen Action, um, but also, um, you know, myself on social media and we'll be posting about opportunities to join for advocacy days and other things as we go forward, supporting this and other climate policy um, that's introduced in the coming months. Well, you heard it, folks. You need to get involved with Citizen Action. We're going to be right there side by side helping move this. Uh, this is really important. Representative Neubauer, thank you so much for taking the time to join us and for leading in a really extraordinarily important and constructive way. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. So appreciate your partnership and everyone who has been involved in this process. All right, folks, get follow her on Twitter, Facebook, right? Track all this and join us and we'll work hand in hand. And with that, we have got to wrap up this battleground, Wisconsin. As always, we thank our producer, Brian Wildrich, who makes this show happen every week. And thank you, Greta Neubauer, Representative Neubauer, for joining us to talk about the important climate bills. Folks, we'll see you next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin.